Well, welcome everyone to uh, another week here in isolation and uh, distancing ourselves from those that we love and being around and on online church. But I pray that you are, are in good health and you're not going too stir crazy being stuck at home uh, rather than being, doing things that you would rather be doing out and about in society. Uh, as I shared this week, um, I again would like to encourage you to grab yourself a piece of paper and a pen and when I do refer to a scripture, uh, just jot down the scripture reference and I would really encourage you to then go back afterwards and read through those scriptures again and let God talk to you through them. And so last time I shared, I was sharing on a, what turns out to be a bit of a mini-series uh, so this is the second week of that, the first week. I looked at uh, something that I titled The Power of Persistence. I got a lot of good feedback from that and people were really encouraged. But this week I want to move on and talk about the power of his presence. And the reason I'm sharing these things and be meditating on them lately is basically because of my own journey. Uh, for those of you that I know that know me, um, I've been on a recovery journey following a stroke and heart surgery, which is coming up to two years ago now. And so as I've had plenty of time to think about things and meditate on God's word and his promises in my life, I've just come across these three key points uh, that have helped me in my journey. And I shared the first one last week, which was the power of, his, uh, of persistence. Um, and then this week it's the power of his presence and the next time I share it will be about the power of his promise. So let's keep going this morning as I look into this second area. Um, now these three areas will help each one of us because I know that from my own experience it has helped me continue on my journey. When I become discouraged or frustrated or anxious I will recall these principles with the help of my adorable wife and then when it clicks up in here I know I can literally sense a lifting of my countenance and my attitude changes and becomes brighter and more joyful. Now I can say that it's not always easy to do these things and as someone who is going through a difficult time in their life I can tell you deep down you, you already know these basic principles and uh, as encouraging as it might be intended, hearing these points from well-meaning people can sometimes frustrate us even more. So please, I, I want you to see this with an open heart, not to frustrate you or to get you down, but to encourage you to take bold steps. Um, uh, and again, it's not to say these are things you have to do as a formula, or something to do to please God, because that's not how it goes. Uh, what you need to do is capture what I'm sharing. Make it your own. Get your own understanding of it. Allow God to make it a revelation in your life, because when you make it your own, and you express it in your own actions, then unless you do that, nothing changes. It just becomes uh, you know, a set of rules, or some nice-sounding key points. But my heart in expressing these points to you is not to create some sort of formula for you to feel, I must do this. No. You see, I came to this conclusion myself. 
in doing what I am speaking of, in following these principles, my attitude must be that this is good for me. If I follow these principles, it will be good for me. There will be a good outcome from these. It's just like taking medicine. I don't take medicine to please my doctor or to please a pharmacist. I take my medicine because it helps me physically, it helps me mentally. And I'm able to keep continuing on through the journey. It makes me stronger. And so see these, see these principles as, as your medicine, okay? Um, and suck it up and take it. That's what I can say to you this morning. Alright? Um, and, and don't do it in a sense of, well, if I do this, then you know, God's going to owe me. You know, if I do this, then God's going to do that. You know, I've been down that little sidetrack, and I can tell you it leads to nowhere. My attitude was, uh, you know, God, uh, I'm doing this, uh, now you owe me. I've got to tell you, friends, that that sort of stinking thinking comes to a dead end, and amounts to zero. Now, these points are like medication for the soul. So take your medicine, okay? Okay, let's get started. So last time we looked at Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, looking at Christ's journey to the cross and how he persisted. Just let me read it to you again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now some of you might be saying that you know, Jesus has overcome my situation for me, and I would say right on. Yet our actions partner with him so that a desirable outcome is achieved. And if you follow closely, you will find that each point I share has its focus, its foundation and its fulfilment in the Messiah, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So to help you remember from last time, here's a quick recap about the power of persistence. It comes by slowing down, making small achievable goals, lightening the load, being refreshed by running with another person and making a decision once. If you want to hear that sermon in full, then I encourage you to go to our Life Source Church YouTube channel and you will find it there. But I need to move on. But I want to pick up on point number five in today's message and that is running with another person. So last time it was a power of persistence. Today I've entitled this key, The Power of His Presence. That is the Holy Spirit. Persistence, in a spiritual sense, sees it outworking through faith. We will keep going because we have faith that in, there is a sure belief that there will be a result, a reward, a finish line, and we keep going until we get there. How did Jesus endure the cross? He had the assurance of what it would achieve. What helps us endure? It's our faith. In the words of Romans 8.28, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. So your journey is going to produce something good if we persist. You need to believe this. This is where you need to place your faith that there is something good going to come from this. So today as I speak about the power of his presence, I'm obviously linking it to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. There is no greater running partner for our life than the Holy Spirit, who is such a blessing. So we're going to go now to our Bibles, 1 Chronicles 16 verse 11. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version for this quote. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Okay, underline that. Seek his presence continually. To give this scripture some context, we have to go back and read what was happening at that time. And what we see in the scriptures is that that was a time when King David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It was a great time of celebration and much celebrating by the Israelites. It was returned to Jerusalem after a time it had been away. It was lost, the Ark of the Covenant was lost under the leadership of uh, King Saul and the Philistines had captured it. But we see from this, uh, if we read chapters 15 and 16, uh, we see a lot of things from that. And the first is that the Ark in the Old Testament represented the presence of God. It's where God resided in the midst of his people. In Exodus 25:22, it says, There I will meet you. On the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you. So the ark represented God's presence in the Old Testament. The second thing we see from this story is that the presence of God in the wrong crowd was disastrous. What do I mean by the wrong crowd? Well, basically, the Philistines were enemies of God. Some people call them heathens and pagans. People who neither worshipped God nor acknowledged him as almighty God. Basically, it means anyone who had not had a born-again experience and been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ is part of the wrong crowd. Let's read Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Alright, just highlight that. Holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusations. Now we know when Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation and fell into sin, they were cast out of the garden. Now I see this as an act of love on God's part because it would have been disastrous for them if they had stayed in God's presence. Before the fall, they had both enjoyed the presence of God. But once the stain of sin scourged them, it was not safe for them anymore. Because unrighteousness cannot coexist in the presence of a holy and righteous God. It would be like putting a can of petrol next to an open fire. Sooner or later, 
kaboom, it's going to explode and cause a mess. And so God had to cast them out of the garden for their own protection. And here is a summary of what happened to the Philistines when they took possession of the ark and carried it off. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 5. But I'm going to just summarize it. So when they captured it, they took it back and they put the ark in the temple they had built for their own god, whose name was Dagon. The next day, when they went back to the temple, they found the statue of their god lying prostrate before the ark, as, this, as if a position of worship. And then the day after, after they fixed it up and put it back, they found that again the statue was on the ground but this time the head was broken off and the hands were broken off as well. The second thing we see is that there was an affliction of death and a plague of tumours and rats among the Philistines. So once the Philistines understood they were doomed in the presence of a holy God because of their unrighteousness, they hastily returned the ark to its rightful owners, back to Israel. But that wasn't the end of it. Now we see in the next chapter that the ark was making its way back to Israel. And two rather unfortunate events occurred to show us the presence of God is nothing to be blasé about. In 1 Samuel 6 we read that 70 people thought it would be a good idea to take a sneak peek in the ark. What they thought was a good idea was disastrous. They were strictly prohibited to look inside. The result was they were all struck down and died. We also see that on the journey back they had put the ark on a cart which was being pulled by cows. And this was in direct violation with what the Lord's instructions were in how to transport the ark which was to be carried by priests. And they didn't even touch the ark. They had put poles through rings that were attached to the side of the ark so that the priest carried it along. And so what they did, they put the ark on the cart and as the cart was going along, it stumbled. It must have hit a pothole and the cart had stumbled and the ark was in danger of falling off. And a man named Uzzah reached out and placed his hand on the ark to, to steady it. Okay, the result was he perished, he died because he touched the ark. So in hearing this, you might be asking the same question we find in 1 Samuel 6.20. Who can stand in the presence of this holy God? The answer is obvious. Only a holy and righteous person. Everyone else will perish. Now this is a quite a predicament because the scripture quite clearly reveals in Romans 3.10 As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have to, together become worthless. There is no one who can do good, not even one. So in our own efforts, no one is able to come into the presence of God and not be consumed. It's why he had to banish Adam and Eve from the garden. Again, it was an act of love. Even though it broke God's heart, he had to do so. 
He knew that the sin that had come upon them would cause them to perish if they remained in his presence. Now that's the bad news, okay? The good news is we can come into the presence of a holy God. Not because of anything we do, but because of something Jesus has done for us. And we read it in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, I love that word, therefore. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, his name is Jesus, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our Heavenly Father has extended an invitation to come into his presence and he has made a way possible through Jesus Christ for that to occur. And so those that have faith through in Jesus Christ and in the finished work of the cross, which we just celebrated a week or two ago, have this invitation to come boldly into his presence. So if the presence of God is disastrous for those that are in the wrong crowd, how much more powerful is his presence in the right crowd? As Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour approach him to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God is saying, Allow yourself to come into my presence and I will help you in your time of need. So that all sounds good, but what does, it sound, what does it look like practically? Well, let me share you a story that I found myself in. When I was in hospital, the hustle and bustle of the, world, of the wards, you know, the nurses attending the patients and everything that was happening the, and the noise of the machines going off all night long. Okay? And I just found myself waking up quite early in the morning. And when I got out of hospital, I just found it was something my body was used to and I kept waking up pretty early. Uh, and I'm talking about 4 o'clock in the morning. So that's pretty early. That's not like me. If you knew me, I enjoyed my sleeping. But 4 o'clock in the morning was not a nice time to keep waking up. So for after a while, I thought to myself, is this God or is this the devil waking me up? Now it started that I would get up I would go to the toilet, okay, and then I would try and go back to sleep. I'd get back into bed and try and go back to sleep. But as you know, once the brain wakes up, that's it. You can't go back to sleep. And I just found my brain had switched on by then, and I started thinking about things. I started thinking about my situation. I started thinking about the future, okay, and everything that was associated with that. And what I found was that I was getting very anxious about things and so after a couple of weeks I said to myself you know what this is not good so if it's the devil trying to make me anxious I'll fix him I'll get up I'll pray in tongues and I'll read my bible 
And if it's God, I'll still do the same. I figured it was a win-win situation. And you know what? I found out my attitude improved. My outlook got better and joy was present in my life. And the anxiousness that was plaguing me, I soon found that that was gone as well. And nowhere to be found. Praise God. This is the power of his presence. And so I really encourage you. Let me finish by saying this. Just as there's an invitation in Psalm 91 to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, there is an invitation that I want to throw out for you here. Firstly, to those of you who find themselves anxious about the current pandemic, which is making you anxious about your health, your relationships, your finances, your employment. If Jesus is not Lord of your life and if he's not your saviour, then follow me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I accept your invitation today and I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Saviour. Jesus, come into my life. I understand that I've not always done the right thing and that I've tried to live life my own way. I ask for your forgiveness, Jesus. And I ask for you to fill my life afresh with your life. And that all you did for me on the cross will be applied for my life. In Jesus' name, in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Now if Jesus is Lord and Saviour of your life, let me challenge you to do this. Get up earlier. Okay? Now I'm not saying it has to be 4 o'clock in the morning, but get up earlier and spend time in God's presence. Go for a walk and talk in tongues, pray in tongues as you're walking along. If walking's not your thing, grab a cup of coffee and sit there as you watch the sun rise and read his word. For me, the power of his presence has made a tangible difference in my life. And look, I know it's getting colder in the mornings and the warmth of your dinner is like an unbreakable bond, but do it. I know it's hard and everything within you is screaming, don't do it, it's nice and warm here, stay for a little bit longer. But just do it. Throw off your doona, throw on your dressing gown and your slippers. Doesn't matter how daggy you look, no one's going to see you at that time of the morning anyway. Okay? And just go and get into his word and get into his presence. In the famous words of Archibald Whitwicky, no sacrifice, no victory. But in all seriousness, let me finish by praying. Father, I thank you for those that have received salvation this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you'll come into their life and guide them and direct them. Lord, I cast out all anxiousness in those that are, are anxious about their current situation. And Lord, I pray that as they seek your presence, you'll be true to your word and come and dwell with them and, and, and just be with them on their journey. I cast all anxiousness out in Jesus' name. Amen. Now again, as I said last week, if that's the first time you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, 
I say, well done, congratulations, it's the best decision you've made in your entire life. And if you stick to that commitment, you will see something change in your life. But we want to help you with that. And so, um, if you're watching this uh, streaming online, there is I raised a hand button. If you just click on that, it will let us know who you are and we will make contact with you. If you're watching this on Facebook, then please make a comment telling us who you are and the decision that you've made today and we will get in contact with you. If you're watching this on YouTube later on, then find our details at www.lifesourcechurch.org.au and again, ring us or send us uh, an email saying that you have made a decision to follow Jesus. Please do this because we want to help you on your journey. We want to help you take your first steps and we've got the resources to help you do that. So again, that's it for today. I pray you've been encouraged. Take those principles at heart and put them into action. Practice the presence of God. Okay, Either by reading his word with a cup of coffee in the morning or getting changed and going for a walk and praying tongues for a time. Okay, so next time I'm going to wrap this mini-series up and I'm going to talk to you about the power of his promise. God bless you. Have an awesome week and stay safe. Amen.
Adios.